Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to to Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We've been doing a series on bad psychological advice or advice that you've gotten from people that may have ended up being hurtful And although it comes from really good intentions, it was just not good advice. But before we jump into today's episode, if you could just take a moment and go over to Apple Podcasts and rate our podcast, these five-star ratings and the reviews you write really do help us to get our message out to other people who need it. And it's also so encouraging for Tim and I to be able to sit down and read through them. So we're so thankful for each one of you, and we're going to jump into today's episode. If you haven't already listened to the first four episodes in this series, go ahead and listen to those and then hop back over here as we jump in. In the last episode, we took some of the comments that people have made on the Facebook group. We had a post and it just asked, what is some bad psychological advice that you've gotten? And in the last episode, we covered people feeling like they had to make amends with their family, even if they insult and disrespect you because, quote unquote, their family. And then we also talked about another comment that their family would always say to get over it, even though it was mostly those adults that were causing the emotional pain. And so we talked a little bit about that in the last episode, and we're going to finish off the bad or hurtful advice by reading a couple more comments that we've received in the Facebook group. A piece of advice that someone had commented is that crying, grieving, showing emotions is annoying and bothersome to others. So don't do it publicly or at all. So there's an interesting thing that I run into when I'm counseling people. And especially when I'm doing EMGR with them, it's a very deeply emotional process. And people will start to cry and struggle emotionally. And then they'll start apologizing to me saying, I'm so sorry, I'm getting emotional right now. And I always like to give them an answer back and say, if you can't cry in front of your therapist, who can you cry in front of? Just kind of make it a little bit light and to give them permission to be able to have their emotional responses in front of me and know that I'm not going to judge them for that. But when I hear things like that, it's a deeper story. And that deeper story is somewhere along the way, they have been trained or told not to express their emotions out publicly. And they feel this deep level of discomfort with doing that, even in a place where they are literally going to work on their emotions. And the major problem when you do suppress the way that you feel is that it actually makes you feel that way more. It makes it feel more intensely, more frequently in more areas. And so This piece of advice when it's like, hey, don't share your emotions or don't let people see your emotions, a part of the thing that you're also missing out on is support. 
getting support from people who can come to you and who can, uh, people who can come alongside you and either empathize with you or just be there with you during that time when you're grieving. One of the things that I hear about people with support groups that they like so much is that when they go to these groups, they feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. Other people are feeling this way. Other people are struggling. And when we internalize all of our feelings and we don't share them or let them out or get support from other people, then it makes us feel unique, but in a bad way. There's something wrong with me that I'm feeling this way. And I think a part of the reason why people do this, why people might want to train you or shun you for expressing your emotions publicly is because they themselves don't know how to deal with your emotions. They feel uncomfortable. And I think a lot of that can come from this idea like, oh, if somebody's expressing their emotions this way, I have to do something. But you don't have to do something. Most of the time, the thing that you can do that is best serving the person who's struggling emotionally is just being there for them, not giving them a piece of advice or an anecdote or trying to help calm them down, but just your presence being there and trying to be just a calming presence, not trying to solve their problems. Right. There's a lot of issues that can come up for really hiding those emotions and suppressing them. Some of it is the mental health aspects where as you kind of stuff those emotions down, you feel anxious, depressed, you feel lonely. You feel like you're always wearing this mask and no one really knows what you're experiencing. And that creates more stress for all the energy that you're using to, you know, hide this emotion. But it can also affect you physically. And there's a lot of research showing how covering up these emotions and not showing your emotions can affect you physically. So increased blood pressure, heart disease, ulcers, and a lot of autoimmune issues happen. And I'm not saying that all of them happen because of it, but I would definitely venture to say that a lot of people who are experiencing autoimmune issues probably have some stored up trauma that they haven't dealt with and some emotions that they really have been hiding or guilt or shame or whatever the case is. But our body really does hold on to these traumas and these emotions. And so it will affect your body. Even though you think, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore, I would take a look at your body and physical cues that you're experiencing. Are you having more headaches? Do you have increased heart rate? Are you having more stomach problems? All of that can be cues to tell us, hey, there's something that hasn't been worked through. And it may be just a physical problem, but there is a lot of physical problems that are masked because of the emotional issues going on. And another area that suppressing your emotions can affect is your relationships, right? When we don't express our emotions or we're not honest about how we're feeling, we're not being truthful with other people. And so there's some kind of wall up there. And then we feel like, well, these people don't really know me or I can't trust them. And then they really can't connect with you. And then that continues the cycle of feeling lonely and isolated. And so I would definitely agree that this is bad psychological advice to not show your emotions because it does affect us in so many different areas when we try to hide it. And I think some people have been doing this for so long they're disconnected from what they're feeling. And so they don't even know that something is wrong. If you're in that space, just look online for the wheel of emotion. And there's a lot of different ones out there. But it helps us to see other emotions we may be experiencing beyond happy, sad, mad. And that's a really good place to start is just to start to recognize, you know, I feel a little anxiety. 
what could that be? Or I feel a little sad. What else could I be experiencing? And so sit down and write out some of those emotions. Maybe just get a piece of paper and write down the emotion that you recognize on that wheel of emotion and then start to just journal about it. Just free journaling, write the word disappointed and then just start journaling about that. And I think once you recognize what you're feeling, then figure out what are some areas, who are some safe people that I can begin to express this to, right? How can I begin to bring this to the surface and express it in a healthy way rather than just kind of shoving it down? And I do think this is something that I hear pretty frequently from my clients, especially when we're getting into EMDRs that, you know what, I've worked through that and I've kind of resolved that. But realistically, if there's any leftover emotions, you really haven't fully worked through or resolved it. You may have come to good, healthy, logical conclusions, but if there's still an undercurrent of emotions that are still attached to that, there's still some leftover damage that needs to be worked on. Have you ever had people tell me like, well, I've forgiven this person, so I'm over it. But then when we start poking around at it, then a lot of emotions start to come out. And just the fact that there's emotions there doesn't mean you haven't forgiven that person but it does mean that the damage that was left over there is still not resolved and still needs to get worked on, not for that other person's sake, but for your sake. And I do think that it's uncomfortable, but directly confronting your emotions on these things is the path forward to being able to fully recover and resolve them. The next piece of bad advice that somebody posted was, therapy is for crazy or seriously troubled people only. And I think there is a big stigma about going to therapy And I think maybe in some groups, it's less stigmatized now. But I think overall, there is that kind of shame of going to therapy or this fear that people are going to think I'm crazy. Or if I get to the point where I have to have therapy, then maybe I am crazy. But that's not the case at all. A lot of times I'll talk to my clients about how sometimes therapy is necessary. Like you need therapy and it may even be a life or death situation. There's a lot of times where it's necessity because it's impairing your daily functioning, is it affecting, you know, work, school, relationships. And so there's necessity there so that they can get back to a place where it's not impairing their daily functioning. So that idea of therapy could be necessary, like you definitely need it, or it could be beneficial, which can also be beneficial for those that definitely need it. But you can come in and maybe it's not affecting your daily functioning or impairing it. But it could be beneficial in that you can find growth in therapy. You can find insight and wisdom and heal from things that maybe aren't necessarily affecting you in your daily life, but are still there and you need healing from. And I think you also have to consider the source. Why do you think therapy is for crazy people? If you grew up in a home where you had very unhealthy parents, They wouldn't want you to go to therapy because then some of their bad habits and their bad behaviors might be exposed. If you think it might be for crazy people, is it because you're afraid you're going to go in and your therapist is going to tell you that you're a crazy person, right? And I think that understanding what's your barrier or what's the thing that's causing you to feel like, oh, therapy's for crazy people. Because Ruth and I really don't work with deeply disturbed, deeply crazy people. We don't work in a mental health type hospital setting or anything like that. We work with generally relatively normal functioning people who are struggling in certain areas and need a hand or an assistance to be able to function in a better, more healthy way. And so if you have the stigma that therapy is for crazy people, you're actually barring yourself from being able to get in and get some additional help and then make your life a lot easier or a lot more pleasant. Now, the last one we're going to talk about is actually something that I posted. 
and I'm going to read it to you now, but this is an actual experience that happened to me. I was at the DMV one day, and I was behind an elderly gentleman who was renewing his license. He struck up a conversation with me and mentioned it was their 40th anniversary, to which I replied, congratulations. Tell me, what's the secret to a long marriage? He leaned in and glanced back at his wife and said, you have to keep your mouth shut. That is absolutely hands down the worst, most bitter response that I've ever received from someone when I've asked that question. Now, I think what this man is struggling with is that he felt like he couldn't say what he wanted to, or if he did say what he wanted to, he would receive a lot of backlash or consequences from his spouse. Now, a part of the deal with that is that if he can't say something without having major consequences from his spouse, then one of two things is true. Either he is saying wildly inappropriate things or wildly unhealthy things, or his spouse is unhealthy to a degree where she can't hear any negative thing or any type of critique or criticism without kind of blowing up and losing her cool on that. But there's another side to this where there might not be a legitimate reason why he's not being able to share. It might just be a perceived reason where he might perceive, well, if I say this, then she might respond that way, but she may never respond that way. But a part of the weird thing about how our mind works is that whether or not something actually happens a certain way, the way we perceive it or the way we believe it would go, our brain registers it as though that thing happened. So let's go with this idea that maybe he never really says his piece to his wife, but he always just imagines that his wife is going to be mad at him if he says what he wants to say. When he chooses not to say that thing, his brain basically calculates that as a negative interaction with his wife, even though he literally never opened his mouth to say anything that he had a problem with. So when you don't say that thing, you're already giving that person a negative mark in your mind against them, whether you're trying to or not. And so in my estimation, I always think it's better to say the thing, and then if they respond bad, then at least you have a reason to be upset or frustrated with them. But also this idea of if they're responding bad to everything you say, and then you just stop saying things, is not going to solve the problem either. Because obviously this man's been married for 40 years, but it doesn't sound like the happiest of 40 years to me. And even though maybe you don't want to endure the conflict, But if you are constantly avoiding these things in order to not have that conflict, then it doesn't seem like there's a problem. He's the only one who's experiencing that problem, and she's not experiencing that problem at all. But if she were experiencing that problem because he was more willing to share or kind of stand his ground on what he was saying, not necessarily in an aggressive or nasty way, but just saying what his piece is about something, and then she kind of blows up about that, then that's an indication there's a problem that needs to get solved. Hey, we need to get into counseling. Let's work on this. I feel like I can't say what I want without you getting mad at me. And then we can go in and we can get some additional assistance. Because being married is going to be one of two things for you. It's either going to be the greatest relationship in your life, or it can be the absolute pain of your existence. There's not a whole lot of middle ground in between there. Uh, I think in a past podcast, I described it like this. It's either going to be a castle that protects you, or it's going to be a cage that holds you inside. And when you're thinking about the quantity of contact that you have with your spouse, and the duration, the length of time that you're with them, it's so important to make sure that this is in a good and healthy state, that it's worth fighting over, it's worth bringing things up to have conflict over, because it's worth trying to solve those problems, because if you're able to solve those problems, in the long run, you will get paid out dividend after dividend after dividend of the beneficial, now healthy engagement that we're having. And don't get me wrong, I remember when Ruth and I, we were going to our pre-engagement counselor, And I remember not liking going because I felt like every time we go, (laughs) we get into conflict. 
And this isn't why I'm here. I'm here to solve conflict. I'm here to get rid of conflict. But realistically, we had to address these soft or uncomfortable areas that were in our relationship in order for us to get to a healthier spot. It wasn't always fun. It wasn't always the thing that I would want to do with my time. But now looking back, Ruth and I always say, man, that time was worth its weight in gold because of how helpful it was, because of how our pre-engagement counselor helped to kind of correct and shift us and push us into a healthier direction. And from my perspective, I would agree that I don't like that advice of you have to keep your mouth shut because that really does create barriers between the other person. You begin to block out who that person really is, right? If Tim just always kept his mouth shut, then this isn't a partnership in our marriage. It's me dictating things and you just go along with it. I don't want to hear your opinion. And that's not at all how I want our marriage to be. That's actually the opposite of what I want. I want to hear his opinion. I want to know where he's at with things. And granted, that may cause more issues and it may cause some disagreements sometimes. But I don't want to get to the end of our marriage and feel like he is so resentful or he has not lived his life and been able to share honestly and that I've just gotten my way all of the time. A lot of marriage is just experiencing the day-to-day, the small things, right? In life, it's not these big trips and these big things that we get to go on. It's just a day-to-day living. And by Tim being able to share with me and be honest and open, I get to know him more and more. And Tim is my best friend. And to have a best friend, it doesn't mean that it's just this one-sided thing. It's us sharing our thoughts and our feelings and our life and laughing together and having fun together. And so even if this man said that kind of in jest or in humor, it's one of those things, kind of that like water cooler talk that for us, we want to stay far away from because that's not the type of marriage that we want to have. Actually, when you're saying that, it reminds me of a study when you're talking about not just saying whatever your spouse wants to keep the peace. They actually did this research study where they had two groups of people and one group of people, they instructed them, hey, listen, what we want you to do is we want you to always agree with your partner. And in particular, it was a group of men. They were telling the men, always agree with your wife, always agree with your girlfriend, whatever they say, just agree with it. And then another group, they said, always assert your opinion. Whatever your opinion is, always state it. And they didn't give any additional instructions past that. What they did was they got a baseline and they got a general average of what the couple's subjective happiness level was. And then after they gave them these instructions, then they followed up a month later and then they reassessed the couple's level of happiness. And what they found was that the couple where the man was exclusively agreeing with his significant other, her happiness actually decreased. So not his happiness, her happiness actually decreased. And so just like you were saying there, Ruth, women don't necessarily just want men to just agree with them or men also don't want their wives to just agree with them. But that just that constant agreement with the partner, I think even if you feel like, okay, they're always agreeing with me, it doesn't feel real. And so I do think that when that happens, people feel disengaged. They don't feel connected because how can we always be agreeing on literally everything? There's no pushback. There's no difference of opinion here. Versus the other side, when the men were asserting their opinion on everything that they had some level of disagreement with, what they actually found was the level of the couple's happiness increased. And I think what the end result of that is is that the other person felt like this is a real human being who's actually interacting with me, who has their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. So the really interesting thing is when a couple comes to a head on something and it's a difficult exchange and then they're able to overcome that, 
it creates additional levels of feelings of security and confidence in the relationship. Because this difficult thing, we are able to overcome this thing, and then we're able to then be on the other side. And so it causes both people to trust each other more. I think a while ago, we had talked about the love bank. And the love bank basically is every time you do a good interaction with your partner, it's like depositing a dollar. But every time you have a bad interaction with your partner, it's like withdrawing $5. And there's actually research also that backs this up saying basically every negative interaction, you need five positives to break even with. And I think that there's one additional piece to this that people miss a lot of times is that there's a way where you can get a $5 deposit. And the way you can get a $5 deposit is that if you come to an exchange that could be difficult and easily could go sideways, but you both end up navigating it well, that's a way where you can do a $5 deposit because it does build up that trust. And so a lot of people look at these potentially difficult conversations and they are fearful of these conversations. But from my perspective and what I like to tell my clients about is that you shouldn't be fearful. You should look at this as an opportunity to get a $5 deposit in your bank. You just have to manage it well. It is kind of a high risk, high reward type scenario, but also the more you practice it, the better you get. And so then the more likely you are to be able to work it in a good way and then get this $5 deposit into your love bank. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to this five-part series about bad psychological advice. We hope that these episodes have been validating to some of you who might have experienced or run into some of this advice and then also supported you and helping you know like, okay, that was bad. That's not the right thing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone. Help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.